The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by ITO Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITO Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITO coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust the training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel can be found at bluepineappletravel.com. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They are all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The agents at Blue Pineapple Travel love to help people plan their travel. Their goal is to match you with the trip that you want. Whether you're looking for relaxation or adventure, traveling solo or with a group, inside the U.S. or abroad, they are there to match you to the trip for you. Blue Pineapple Travel will help you curate all of the travel information out there to create the exact vacation that you want. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by SlayRx. You can find them at www.slayrx.com. SlayRx is a sports nutrition company that makes products for athletes, team sports, and anyone that trains or works outdoors. SlayRx was founded by an endurance athlete and University of Georgia food scientist who was unhappy with the choices he was offered on course in long course triathlons. He started making his own mixes and now you can enjoy those same mixes. SlayRx offers differing levels of electrolytes in their hydration products and you can get them with or without calories. You can either take their online test at SlayerX.com or you can be tested in their laboratory to determine the exact amount of liquid and electrolytes that you need to be consuming while racing. In addition to hydration products, SlayerX offers fueling products like their product Diesel, which is available with or without the optimum level of caffeine that is scientifically proven to legally enhance performance while limiting GI upset and diuretic impact. If you're looking for alternative gels, try SlayerX Spark Plug, a Pop Rocks-like powder that combines the same electrolytes that are in their other products, encapsulated caffeine, and quickly absorbed carbohydrates. It comes in a plastic tube so it can be carried while running, and it will work to enhance and fuel your alertness, general happiness, and performance. Remember, tell them the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast sent you by using the coupon code PLEASANT2020 at checkout on their website, and you'll get 10% off anything you purchase there. That's SlayerX.com, Pleasant2020. Test, don't guess, with SlayerX. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast possible. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, brought to you by ITO Coaching and Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and SlayerX. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach. I'm a college professor, and I'm a father of twin boys. My name is Michelle Frank. I'm an endurance athlete. I'm a mom to three girls, and I work full-time as a CPA. And Michelle, we should tell everybody you are a Strava queen. You're a convert (laughs) to the world of Strava after months and months, years even, of, of... Given those of us who appreciate Strava a hard time, I got a text from you today. <laughs> all no, it excited was yesterday. Because, yesterday, okay, thank you. Yesterday, all excited because you, you had busted into the top 10 on one of your local segments and, and you start planning out ways that you were going to move up in that top 10. I mean, it was more of a confused excitement because I've run the same loop for 12 years and I've never run it the other way. Mm-hmm. And I decided to run it the other way this time and which means I get a really long uphill at the beginning. And this segment that I got this top 10 for is literally a mile with most of it going uphill. And I wasn't even going very hard because it was pre the two minute pickup. So I was for sure just, you know, chugging along there. Um, But yeah, now I look at that list and um, well, somebody sent it to me. So once I saw it, um, I did not go on Strava and like look, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I just showed somebody the email and they pulled up the top 10 list to show me who was above me and what the times were. So, But now I you're mean, thinking about your training between now and virtual Boston. You're like, okay, when am I going to run that loop again? And I can probably do it backwards again. And maybe I can run around my neighborhood a little bit to warm up and then just push that hill a little bit more and maybe yeah, move it's the from number nine up, up to number like, six. It's literally a flat <laughs> mile to, to Briarcliff and La Vista, which is where it starts. Um, oh, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> so so, 
dare I ask, are you starting to see the allure? Um, I mean, maybe. <laughs> All right, cool. So, so I will say this too. So now that you are starting to see the allure, be careful because uh, Lord knows Strava has ruined many a many a easy run, many a zone two ride for a lot of the people who are super into it. They just go out hunting segments all the time and end up never actually running easy. So, um, but you know, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it with you, Michelle. Sure. <laughs> Let's go one segment at a time here. That's right. That's right. How's your virtual Boston training going? Um, yeah, it feels pretty good. So I'm happy to be running. Um, definitely feels, I would say last week felt normal. Um, not, you know, crazy high mileage or anything, but just stacking consistent runs day by day by day. Mm -hmm. Um, I ended up not running last Thursday, but if I had run, it literally would have been six days in a row. So, uh, that's pretty good. I'm pretty happy with that. The way, uh, my body's responding so hopefully just kind of keep building. Um, the one thing I do notice is I think I really miss the heat, like <laughs> the chance to acclimate to the heat in mm. June and July. So I'm definitely just not pushing the pace at all. Um, yeah. Kind of hard to just come in in the middle of August uh, and sure. deal with the summer heat. But sure. I keep seeing pumpkin stuff everywhere. So I'm hoping <laughs> that cooler temperatures, at least in the early morning, are around the corner. I forget right. when that changes. I always think it's much earlier than it is, but I'm here for it. So Right on, right on. I'm here for it as well. I am looking forward to it too. Very good. So I double checked, by the way, after I promised this to you last week, and indeed, the stage that goes right through the middle of Blowing Rock, stage 13, that we'd be finishing around, you know, 6 p.m., 7 p.m. on Friday night, uh, it is the stage that I am currently slated to run. So when you finish, what happens, though? You're just going to get in a van and keep going? Okay, so that's a good question. So, so the... Also, the, yeah, go the, ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, are you going to really be able to... I mean, like, I assume part of the rules are the race in terms of social distancing. You're not going to be, if people are cheering or other people from outside your van or around, I would imagine there's some type of rule where you need to keep minimum contact. There or is. maybe yeah. there's not. I don't know. There, there, there's social distancing rules and there's rules around where they've said that, that if you're outside of your van, even if you're running... Um, you have to have your, your face covered, um, and then they're giving you a bunch of face covers in order to enable you to do that. Um, they're giving you a bunch of gaiters, and we're going to talk about gaiters here in just a second, as a matter of fact. Um, and they say you actually have to start your run with the gaiter on, um, and you can take it down while running as long as you're not passing somebody. Uh, but when you do pass somebody, you have to put it back up. So, yeah. So, so if you were to cheer for me and, and, and throw all your support behind me and, like, encourage everyone that was around you to start cheering for me raucously, which I'm sure that you would because that's totally your style. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I probably wouldn't be able to come over and give high fives and hugs and all that sort of thing just because, you know, 2020. Yeah, um, I guess it but, uh, but nonetheless, it would be pretty cool. It would be pretty cool. No, but the reason why, why, why I hedged on a little bit too is because um, they did uh, reach out to us, uh, to all the teams and say, okay, they're not letting us on the Blue Ridge Parkway, but we figured out a way to deal with those legs that are not on the Blue Ridge Parkway, or they go on the Blue Ridge Parkway. Um, and part of it is that they're going to require a couple of uh, transfers in vans. And okay. so you'll finish a leg and then your whole team will get in the van and you'll have to transfer five miles or something like that. And then the next leg will actually start from a different location. Um, and that's something they haven't had in the past. Like, you know, leg one always finished at the leg one, two exchange zone. And then leg two started there and then finished at the same place that leg three started. And then three finished at the same place that four started, etc. There's going to be at least a couple of things this time because of the rerouting where leg 13 is not going to finish at the same place that leg 14 starts. And so, so we'll finish 13 and then we'll all get in the car together and we'll have to drive to 14 together. And since I presume that, that your driving time is going to count in your total time, we're not going to be hanging around a whole lot in the exchange and we're going to like literally run directly into the car, dive in and take off as fast as we possibly can. So that seems really reckless for the Blue Ridge Relay to make it that the driving time is included. I would think that it would be more of a start finish. And then once you went from one stage that you had to transport by van to another, you'd have another start finish and then they would mm -hmm. accumulate the actual running time. 
Maybe. Because if I was driving that van, I promise you I could get there faster than most people I know. <laughs> uh, at least the way they drive. <laughs> Especially nice. the people in my family. <laughs> so nice. we, we actually, so, so my, my Blue Ridge Relay teammates and I had a conversation about this very thing. Um, and if you were ultra cycling, they actually do this on a fairly regular basis. You have like portages where they stick you in the car and you have to drive you over a river or something else like that. Um, and they always do count the drive, the clock just runs. And well, so they if have you drive system. faster and more mm -hmm. recklessly, then in fact, you know, that's probably better for your overall time and place. Um, and so, so ultra cycling does that on a fairly regular basis. And yeah, there's, there's some kind of danger that's, that's inherent in that approach. Uh, and so we were kind of texting about it inside of our group and talking about different ways that they might handle it. Um, and we'll see, they haven't actually said specifically the way they're going to handle it. Um, it's, it, it would be logistically difficult to have multiple race clocks running. Um, That's but, true. But, but you could take a start and finish on the same mm -hmm. race clock. So, so potentially. So, so we'll see. We'll see what they end up deciding to do. So um, who's your but, driver? So we actually have a special driver, a guy named Dave Holcomb, who is – actually, I take that back. I say he's a special driver. He's running the first leg this year. So he, he is running leg one, which is a downhill leg out of Virginia into North Carolina. He is running that leg, and then he is driving for the remainder. And for the 35 remaining legs, we're splitting it among the five remaining team members. And so we're all each running seven legs. Um, but the fact that Dave is running that first one means that the remainder of us only have to run seven as opposed to all of us running seven and then one person running eight. Um, if he does that, it spreads it a lot more equally and equitably across the course of the uh, across the course of the, the race. So, um, so yeah, this guy, I hope Dave he's not Holcomb. a wussy driver. <laughs> I'll tell him you said so. <laughs> and most of my Blue Ridge Relay teammates actually listen to the podcast. So, so oh, great. So, so, so they'll, they'll probably tell him you said so as well. Thanks. <laughs> right on. So, hey, so we were talking about gators and I do want to mention that real quickly just because it's a nice segue, but obviously we're going to talk about, uh, our, everybody's new favorite runner, Joshua Cheptegei, here in just a second. But I, I did want to talk quickly about Gators because that got a lot of news last week. And fortunately, we didn't quite get to it in last week's podcast um, because if we had, we probably would have been right now kind of stepping back. Yeah, backtracking <laughs> with some of the stuff that we had said. Um, but last week, there was an uh, article in the Washington Post um, that, that basically said that, that gaiters um, or like cloth face coverings, such as the type that most runners are using when they're going out for a run, if in fact they're covering their face, of the same type that the Blue Ridge Relay is requiring of all of its runners, um, they said that a new study out of Duke demonstrates that those masks not only are not as good as you know, cloth masks and N95s and all that sort of thing, as you probably would have guessed, but they actually said that they're worse than not wearing any mask at all. Um, and what the researchers at Duke did is they, they took this sort of contraption, this, this uh, laser-based machine um, that's never really been used to measure droplets coming out of people's mouths before. Um, and they had 14 different types of masks and they just basically had people say a phrase 10 times and they saw whether they could measure using this laser technology, the droplets that were coming through the mask into the sort of testing area there, right? Um, and, and when they were recording all of this, they found that, that there were a lot of particles that emerged from the mouth uh, and through the mask of the person that was actually wearing the gaiter. And what they postulated, just sort of almost offhand, was that perhaps the gator was breaking some of the big droplets into smaller droplets and then the smaller droplets in turn could stay airborne longer and that might actually be more dangerous. Um, now, the whole idea around viral load and droplet wasn't really addressed in this, but still, nonetheless, it made a pretty big splash inside the endurance community. Well, do you want to take it from here or do you want me to keep going? <laughs> well, I think, the, <laughs> I think the important thing with this study is that the way that the Washington Post wrote it up, it basically led everyone to think that the study looked at the efficacy of these 14 different masks right. and that the study concluded that, you know, the gator wasn't effective at all in terms of droplet prevention. But mm -hmm. the big thing is that, the study was actually done just to see if and how they could test, mm -hmm. you know, for the efficacy of the masks, not necessarily right. 
how effective are each of these 14 masks? Um, exactly. It was exactly. also only, it was a machine. It was one person. I mean, there was no even control group. So I really lay the blame on the Washington Post. I don't think- I think so too. I don't imagine, and we know now, the scientists from Duke did not, like they didn't do this study for the whole uh, hinting of it to be, don't go wear a gator anymore. Like it's mm -hmm. going to be worse. And it turned right. the whole- I guess, gator wearing um, endurance world sort of upside down in for terms sure. of is it effective or isn't it effective? And especially for, for right. yeah. places like, I mean, I know Boston is, people are not even passing each other near the Charles River without their face being covered. So, mm -hmm. and for some of the people who've chosen to wear a gator, even though they're not really sure, it's like, what are you supposed to do now? We have mm -hmm. to wear a mask. You're telling me this isn't effective. Running with something, you know, plastered on my face and behind my ears it gives me a headache so it was a big brouhaha i feel like for a few days but for now sure. we have better clarification so for sure until it was a brouhaha until people basically started looking a little bit more closely at what was actually written in the uh was being published in the scientific journal and they started reaching out to the authors of the study and the authors of the study basically said no we weren't testing mass we were demonstrating the new technology right and that's what the article is about what the article was about was basically saying, whenever we test mass, N95s or surgical mass or gaiters or whatever it happens to be, whenever we test all these different sorts of mass, we have to use pretty advanced, very expensive technology that's not very widespread across the United States. And so here's a bunch of stuff that we just happened to have in our lab at Duke, and we kind of configured it all together in a way that it was actually able to measure droplets. And hey, you should try that in your lab too. Maybe this will actually speed up the process of people doing really good scientifically rigorous tests on, on how effective various types of masks are. But that's not what this study was about. The study was not about the various types of masks and how effective they were. It was just about trying to share this different way of going about showing it. Right. Um, and so, so, so if you saw that and you were worried about it and you, you, you've been trying to wear something else or not going outside because you don't want to wear your gator anymore, or if you're like me and you saw that and you're like, dang, this, this really good Blue Ridge Relay protocols that they had put in place that were built heavily around the use of gators uh, don't feel quite so comfortable anymore, um, you can feel a little bit better about gators now. Um, because again, there is not a scientific study that demonstrates that they are worse um, than, than not wearing a mask. Um, certainly, they're not quite as effective as wearing an N95 while running, but of course they're not. Um, I think we probably already knew that already. Um, but, yeah, I uh, mean, I think there's a bigger problem wearing an N95 while running. Yeah, I think yeah. you'd rather have just a double, you know, just cloth over right. your face. I for sure, even, for sure. We're not even going there. For sure, <laughs> yeah. So, 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 I mean... If you're worried about that, worry not, because I think everything will be okay. Um, I have a so, question. Are you yeah. doing any of your training for the Blue Ridge Relay wearing a gator? Okay. Or are you just, yeah? I've been meaning to. George, <laughs> you're going to go run. I mean, you need to throw on a gator for one of these I Sunday agree. long hot runs. I agree. I agree. I totally agree. I've been meaning to. And I just haven't. Okay, you know what? As soon as we get done with the podcast, I have a run tomorrow morning. I'm gonna go put out the gator I have. I'm gonna lay it out, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna take it with me tomorrow morning. Yeah, but how long is your run tomorrow? So it's not that long. But but remember the the, the oh yeah the your gator, stages are the, right. Yeah, the stage. So the stages. My shortest stages are only about five kilometers. My longest stage is that one through Blowing Rock that currently is, is that slated nine at miles? nine. It's currently slated about nine and a half. But they said it's probably gonna be a little bit shorter because of the rerouting because of the Blue Ridge Parkway. Um, but um, but remember, you only have to put it on when you're near the exchange zone. And when I know you're George, but you need run. to practice running with I this. Agree piece of apparel around your neck. Like you may feel like you're suffocating and you probably want to know what that's going to feel like before you get out there with I a agree. bunch of teammates I agree. that are counting on you. I, I even went so far as to consider ordering one from the same company that the, the uh, Blue Ridge Relay is actually getting to or is distributing to us. Um, but it didn't look like it could really get here that fast, probably because they're overwhelmed with orders getting everything ready for the Blue Ridge Relay. But, sure. uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, but no. I promise you I will tomorrow because I've been meaning to it. And I appreciate you holding me accountable on that. Very good. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about Joshua Cheptegei. We got to talk about it. him. So yeah, you and I are both pretty excited about this. Dare I say, are you as excited about this as I was? 
I mean, were you even watching it or were you just reading my text message that it was happening? So I was reading your text message that it was happening, um, but then I did go back and watch the entire race on YouTube because it's in it's available in multiple places on YouTube right now. But it was on Friday. We talked about the Monaco Diamond League meet that was taking place there. Um, and one of the marquee events, a short meet, only uh, only two hours long. Joshua Cheptegei, uh, Ugandan uh, defending world cross-country champion, defending world 10,000-meter champion, uh, had his sights set on running the uh, new world record or breaking the world record in the 5,000 meters. Now, the his current PR in 5,000 meters is about 20 seconds behind the current world record but uh, or the former world record. But nonetheless, uh, he was able to go out and run 1235.36 at the Diamond League meet. Um, to take two seconds off the old record, which was 1237.35, so almost exactly two seconds there uh, that he took off of uh, Kenanisa Bekele's old record. Uh, the record by, by Bekele, by the way, 16 years, two months, and 14 days that it was around. Um, it was the, uh, the longest that anybody has ever held the world 5,000-meter record, but is now broken, and Joshua Cheptegei is the new world record holder. What'd you think? First of all, I think his last mile, did he run sub four for the uh, last ran, mile of well, that 5K or 401? I mean, the whole thing last, is 402 pace. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, I mean, you know, uh, I think he, so, so I think the answer to that question is actually no. Um, so he had to average 60.5 per lap. Okay. And his last lap, he kicked a little bit. And so he ran a 59 for his last lap. But it was only that's only like a second faster than what he was running for all the other miles anyway, right? Um, he had a really, really, really evenly paced effort, as a matter. Yeah, of fact. I was gonna say that's was the most fascinating thing. I mean, if you were just kind of watching it and clocking it yourself, it literally looked like he just kept trickling off quarters, sixty seconds, sixty seconds. Like it was uh, amazing to watch. And then once you knew that. I mean, there was just like this moment where you, you worry and you worry and you worry that they went out too hard or there's not going to be enough left. And mm -hmm. it was almost like he could just like feel the record and mm -hmm. he just never, it never, the pace just never, he, he, I just feel like he never missed a step. I don't yeah. Know. Just never um, really fell off. He so. did have a pacer for, I want to say about, it's 12 and a half laps. He had it for probably about six laps. Yeah, um, so, right. so for about a mile and a half worth, um, and his pacers did a great job. They were right on it. Now we should also say should they we were using the, the <laughs> we should talk about the lights. They, they were using that wave light technology that we've talked about. And it was, it was actually the first time I'd ever seen it watching the videos. The first time I'd ever actually seen it. Um, but they were using the wave light technology that went around the inside of the track there. Um, and it was going around precisely at the pace, the world record pace. And so it was kind of cool in the last two laps when he was ahead of pace, he was ahead of the lights. Right ahead right? of the light. Yeah. And so, so it's, it's, it's almost like the, when you watch the Olympics and swimming and they have that line on the pool, it's the yeah. world record line, you know, it was right. the same, it, it, it almost served that same sort of thing. Except he could actually see the light as well. Or I guess maybe he could because it was behind him, but, um, but, but anyway. Anyway, you could see it and, and you like you said you're, it's almost like he's racing the light and and you're worried he's going to slow down the light's going to catch him but the light never quite caught him the light he's never up, caught him i think in two seconds in front of it yeah. and the difference between this and swimming is we see swimmers swim faster than those lights all the times mm -hmm. you know in an olympic games and mm -hmm. this record has really stood the test of time so For sure. um i also think it's interesting i don't see much of any speculation around whether he's clean hmm. like he just ran, you know, he just broke a record that stood for 16 years and mm -hmm. uh, people aren't questioning it. And mm -hmm. I think, and I don't know whether that's a product of where his history, you know, and his previous times show a gradual progression towards him being able to do this, or we're so happy that there's some form of track right. that's back that we're just soaking in, you know, the good racing and the fast times, um, less likely to criticize or mm -hmm. question a great performance. But I feel like there's sort of been celebration all around. Um, and there was other great races in Monaco, but this was big. This is probably the takeaway from yeah. Monaco. So. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, it's, it's worth pointing out. I mean, there's Kenanisa Bekele right there. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, he, he's, he's on the wall behind me right now. And he's one of the all-time greats. And so he so, probably yeah. is the greatest distance runner yeah. of all time. Yeah, he's definitely, he's definitely in the short, short conversation. Yeah, um, I'd say Kipchoge is the greatest marathoner of all time, but I'd say Bekele, yeah, George, we know. <laughs> we see him. <laughs> um, but Kipchoge, I would give Bekele the more general. Highly Gebersalazi is in the conversation. The yeah, he's right up here. there. 
Yeah, so but Mo Farah, who's in the middle here, is great, but he's not in the conversation. Not in the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Emil Zadopek over there. Not in the conversation. Groundbreaking, probably not in the conversation. Mevka <laughs> Fleski over there, not in the conversation. But no, anyway. <laughs> Muhammad Ali's a boxer. Deepri Fontaine, not in the conversation. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> Want to go to London? It's right behind me. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, but no, I mean, he, he's, you know, yeah, to, to, to break a record like that for a person like that. And, and Joseph, Joshua Cheptegei is only 23 years old. Um, and so, so yeah, um, I, I, I think you make an interesting point. Um, if anything, what I have seen is, is a, a desire for people to actually say that, that, no, this is clean. This is real. This is good. Um, this is, I think this we is want to believe in a that. bad record. Yeah. Um, I've seen normally in the places like message boards and stuff where you would see people saying, oh, well, this isn't true. This is an illegitimate record, all that sort of thing. Instead, what I think you're seeing is you're actually seeing those same message boards saying, no, it's legitimate. It's real. And this is why it's real. And I think that is interesting for, I think it's exactly for the reasons that you're describing. Yeah. 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 What's next for him? Is he going to um, go, where does I don't know. the Diamond League is going, is it going to Sweden this week? So I don't know. The, no, the, it's, it's worth mentioning after 16 years ago, uh, eight days after he broke the, uh, the 5,000 meter, after he set the 5,000 meter world record. Oh yeah, uh, he set uh, the 10, right? Yeah, yeah. Ken Anissa Bekele set the 10,000 meter world record. So we'll have so to is our see buddy whether, Joseph about to run a 10K somewhere? I don't know. I, I, I don't think he is about to run a 10K, but you know, if he wanted to really follow in the footsteps of Ken Anissa Bekele, that's probably what he would do. So, so I don't know. So, I think he's talking about doing it next year. I know that he was originally playing on doing the 10,000 meters at the Olympic Games. Um, but of course, uh, the Olympic Games were postponed until next year. So it, it's strange it sounds that 10,000 meters at the Olympic Games might be like one of the real hot races. <laughs> yeah. You know. Um, we also saw his Strava upload, right? Yeah. yeah. So does he get... Like, which, which he did does rename. The 5K on the track at, <laughs> does the 5K on the track at Monaco get a segment record? Like, so, how does that work? Yeah, I don't know. Probably not, because the people run quarters around that, right? And so, so, so no. But, but, uh, but no, he didn't rename it. It's, a, it's an evening run or something like that. And Afternoon so, so, run. Which, which means that I did not give him kudos uh, per my rules. Um, oh, greatest so, Strava upload ever. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so a couple other things we'll say about it real quickly. Uh, one, just as a matter of putting it in perspective, um, if you run that pace that he ran for 5,000 meters for 3,000 meters, so for 60% of the distance, that's a 733, and only five Americans have ever run 733 for 3,000 meters. And then, yeah. of course, he went on to run another 2,000 2, meters. meters. Um, and so that, that goes to show you just, just how, what, what an incredible race this was. Um, another thing to kind of mention about it here um, is, is uh, him going back and forth and some of the things he said about the press afterwards. Um, I really liked what he had to say uh, about Kennedy Sebekele, frankly. Um, he said, I learned that anything is possible if you have the right mindset and believe. I really thank Ken Anissa so much for inspiring me when I started running. He's always been a big inspiration and motivation to me. The record is a special moment for me, and I like to thank Ken Anissa for his inspiration. Um, and then in response, Beckley actually wrote, I have great memories of running my world record in, in Hingelo 16 years ago. It's very difficult to run any world record. Congratulations to my teammate, Joshua Cheptegei, for running a new world record for 5,000 meters tonight in Monaco. Um, and then Cheptegei actually responded to that and said, you are forever my all-time role model and idol. Your career inspires me the most. I am forever grateful to emulate and follow your footsteps. So good. <laughs> so, so good. So good. I, I, I like some good trash talking, but I, I thought that was pretty cool nonetheless. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was good. Uh, and then the other thing I wanted to talk about it um, was something that, that you and I talked a little bit about last time. Um, and that's, that's this sort of focus that people have right now on times. Um, and this real desire to run as fast as they possibly can because we're, they're so limited in the number of opportunities they're going to have this year. Sure. Um, but uh, uh, Cheptegei, um, in a lot of ways, he was able to focus more on the race. Um, his coach ended up, his, he, his coach is actually, I think, from the Netherlands. His coach didn't go back to the Netherlands. He stayed in Uganda with him um, uh, because he wanted to be able to, to help him focus um, and, and because – traveling was all shut down because of quarantine and lockdowns and stuff like that. Um, and so, so Chepta guy was actually had to have a really good focused buildup towards this particular race. And then uh, he said afterwards, I believe if there is a time to attack the world record, it is this year. It is now or never. He said, um, I mean, he's 23 years old. I thought that was such an interesting thing for him to say it's now or never. And I'm wondering if he's kind of alluding to what we had talked about that, 
this is this really unique year where championships aren't really on the table. And so we can, we can focus entirely on time and just go after it. Right. I mean, what do you think? It sounds like something that a coach would have put in his head. Mm -hmm. Like it's now or never, this is the perfect opportunity. We can risk it all. We can run really fast. There's nothing on the line. There's not a full diamond league award. There's not an Olympic games and there's not a world championship. So Mm -hmm. it seems like a mindset that if you locked into that, you know, once everything started shutting down um, and you pick that as your goal, then this would, this would be the perfect time to do it. I mean, I think it's a little bit ironic. He's 23. He's, yeah. <laughs> got years of running left in his legs. Yeah. So if he could run that now, I mean, you'd think he could probably run a little bit faster a few years from now, but then again, he may never run that time again. He may never have another opportunity. I mean, I don't right. know how fast the Pacers usually go out at Monaco or if we're going to start seeing Pacers and lights or just lights, but it's hard to find a race where everybody agrees that they want to go out, you know, mm-hmm. at world record pace. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. So and, and, and whether this is, and whether this to is going to continue sure. to be his focus, whether, whether he's going to say, okay, my focus is still going to be trying to break world records and get world records, or is he going to go back to try and win championships? Because, I mean, even when I introduced him the second ago, <laughs> right, because, because those, those two sayings don't tend to go together. Um, when I introduced him a second ago, I said he's the reigning world champion at 10,000 meters and in cross country. I mean, those titles matter. Um, and if you want to be considered one of the best runners of all time, you need to have, have – world championship and olympic medals yeah i mean sponsors want to see Mm -hmm. the titles and the medals um so i think athletes do too i think athletes do too um so so yeah we'll see i i did want to mention i i got a text from from a listener um and and it was funny because he he had listened to what we had talked about last week about focusing on times and he had said, he, and he wrote to me, he said, I kind of feel like that, that, that's, what, that's what age groupers always do. We're always focused on time, not on competition. He says, whenever I think about my own races, I've always run a whole lot faster when I thought I was going to run a fast time as opposed to competing as other people. Is it, he, and he said, isn't that the way you are too? And I actually wrote back and said, no, I'm not that way at all. I said, I'm, I'm the opposite. I said, I dig much more deeply when I'm trying to beat somebody else than, so I, am, I, think that's... than I am when I'm running against the clock. Um, but go ahead. I, I think you're getting to what the point he was he ultimately made. Go ahead. I think that's the difference between the people that are always at the front of the pack, where you typically, because of your natural ability to run as fast as you run. I mean, you're you're up there. You're racing for a place. You're racing for a title, for a masters win. The majority of people are just racing against the clock. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, I mean, where I run in a marathon, I have no idea. I have no concept whatsoever of even a, a local race, you know, even a Atlanta race. I have no concept of, I don't know, maybe I'm third in my age group or fourth in my age group, but you're like, you may be breaking the tape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and I have a pretty, and I have a pretty clear sense of where I am too. Yeah. I mean, you, and, and except for in the largest races. But, so I'm but, with whomever texted you. Mm-hmm. I think that is, yeah. that mm-hmm. is our metric. Um, we mm-hmm. probably, we might focus too much on time, but it's almost as if, age groupers, if you place and you win an award or you qualify, mm-hmm. um, it's great. But sometimes you have no concept of that until they post the results at the end of the race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I, I, I agree with you. And, and I, I think it's an interesting point to consider just the because he ultimately argued that, 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 that time was more motivating and time would force you to dig more deeply than, than competition. And I, I and disagree. I, I, I think if so. you have the competition next to you and you can shut everything out and you mm-hmm. just have that fiery competitive, I want to get to the line first. I think that would win over the clock every single time. I just mm-hmm. think as age groupers, unless you pick out the next person that you want to knock off, you mm-hmm. know, we're typically not able to race like that. That's always the way I've raced though. Even like when I was in high school and was just barely coming along, I've always been like, okay, let me beat that guy in front of me. Let me but you're that. always racing. Not then I wasn't. So I don't know. It's just, just a different approach, but, 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 but I, I definitely agree with what you're talking about now though, that, that, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely am, am looking a lot more where I am in races and, and, and trying to dig deep in order. But anyway, I, I, I do think it's interesting talking about, point. about, about the way it, and then he actually segued into saying, this is one of the reasons why we always see so many more world records broken in swimming. He said in swimming, they just put their head down and they don't pay attention to the people next to them. They just go hard for the line and try and get the time, which I thought was an interesting point. 
Um, yeah, but I think most professional swimmers, they have an idea of where the people around them are. I, 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 I think so too. I know I think, they do, I think, for I think, sure. I, I, mean, I, I think they have, they have a sense that the, the rest of us don't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think you're right. Um, but, uh, but I did think it was an interesting point. Um, and so, so and, and certainly worth considering. It's certainly worth considering. The more, um, and I would say the more distance the swimmers are. I mean, like by the time somebody like Katie Ledecky swims 1500 meters, she has a very clear idea at what point, you know, she's got a body length on the yeah. next person. And, um, and everybody else has a particular people next to her have a pretty clear idea of how far ahead of yeah, she is. So yeah, yeah, for sure, for <laughs> sure. Um, other big performances that came out of Monaco? Sure, I thought it was great, the women's 5K. Um, we saw Shannon Roberry run her second fastest time ever. I think she ran 1445 or 1446. She's uh, three years out from pregnancy, childbirth. She was previously coached by Alberto Salazar, so she lost her coach, she lost her training group. She you know, has been living in California full time. Um, she is a member of kind of Pete Julian, who was Salazar's assistant, and he kept you know, a core group of the runners together. Um, she and her teammate, Jessica Hull, who is Australian, she broke an Australian record running the 5K. So I think in terms of, you know, US women, we've got that really, really strong contingency for the top three spots in the 5K at Bowerman, but Roberry's mm -hmm. right there. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, she didn't have a chance to run against the Bowerman uh, women this season. 1546, 1446 is not nearly, you know, 1423, like we saw from Shelby Houlihan, but mm. it's major progress over where we've seen her since she gave birth to her daughter. And mm. if anything, I mean, she's just got fire in her. And for me personally, when I see someone come back from, you know, pregnancy and childbirth, and that's, it's a lot harder than when yeah. she was out there <laughs> running these times, you know, when she wasn't a mom. So mm -hmm. I was really excited to see her out there right and on. having a good race. Awesome. Very cool. Very good. Good for her. Um, uh, somebody texted me um, and after I had posted something on Facebook about how Joshua Cheptegei ran when he ran at, at the Diamond League meet, and they said, are the people in the stands? Um, and, and I wrote back and said, uh, the stands look to me to be about 10% full and everybody was wearing masks. Um, yeah. And so, so if you're wondering about that, it definitely wasn't the loud, thunderous people going crazy and cheering and all that sort of thing that you're accustomed to seeing at big track meets. Um, it, was, it was subdued um, and, and it was a small crowd um, and people looked to be sort of sitting in small groups, which I presume were probably like household groups or family groups. Um, and, and like I said, everybody was wearing masks. And so, so it, it, there were fans there, but it was a much different experience. Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going to talk about college and high school sports. What college and high school? Sports? <laughs> I, I mean, guess, yeah, exactly. what are we doing? Like, what is, <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I guess we can say here in the United States, the, uh, the NCAA, um, which is uh, the, the governing body of collegiate athletics uh, has announced they're not having any fall championships this fall. And that includes volleyball. That includes soccer. And that includes Cross country. cross country and so there will be no ncaa cross country championships this fall um and so individual schools now can try and figure out whether they want to try and still run a season with their cross country conference. teams or they want to do their conference meets or something else like that and and um there's kind of mixed messages from different conferences and really nothing definitive, even at this late date, uh, about, about what individual schools and individual conferences are going to be doing. Um, but particularly some of the big programs that focus their seasons towards the NCAA championships are not going to be able to do that this year because the NCAA championships are not going to be taking place. Um, interestingly, um, the president of the NCAA um, did say, his name is Mark Emirate, um, and he said, um, that there's a possibility that maybe they could take some of these fall championships and push them into the winter. Um, and he said, quote, I've I think been they took that. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was, I was going to say, I, he, he said, quote, I've been talking to all the commissioners in division one and there are ways to do this. I'm completely confident that we can figure this out. If schools and conferences want to move forward, let's do it. We can use the fall to keep our kids healthy, keep them engaged with their coaches and their athletic departments, focus on their academic success and let them practice and stay ready to play. Then let's go compete at that time. Unquote. So what were you going to say? Um, they walk in that back a little bit. I thought was really interesting was, I know that the NCAA was at a point where they had to get to 50% of schools mm -hmm. that would cancel their season before they would cancel the championship. Right. And they were hovering in, in about 42% for a few days. And then we had the announcement from 
the Big Ten and the Pac-12. And they mm-hmm. went from 42% up to 70-something percent. It's right. like once they called it, everybody just kind of followed suit. But right. in terms of the NCAA president's comment, I mean, I think in theory it makes sense, but I don't think it's likely because as we've seen this week at UNC Chapel Hill, your favorite place, uh, <laughs> North Carolina State, Notre Dame, bringing these kids back to campus is not working. Michigan you know? State. Um, so by the time, I mean, what are you going to do? Send all the other kids home and just keep the student athletes in a pod. I don't think we're going to see a winter cross country season. I know the expectation is to see football in the spring, right? Yeah. Well, in in the same, in the same interview, he floated the idea of in January and February, putting student athletes in bubbles, the way that pro sports are doing right now and having them play seasons in their bubbles, if you will. Um, you know, the, the University of Georgia announced today uh, that they would be playing home games um, and they have a home schedule and, and they were going to be limiting the, the number of fans to 23,000 um, <laughs> uh, inside of Sanford Stadium, which holds, uh, you know, probably three times that number. Um, and so, so I don't know. We'll see. One, one thing I've actually kind of learned, uh, one thing I did learn this week that I never knew before is that the NCAA isn't in charge of the championships for football. Um, at least for FBS football, which is the the biggest league of football. And so so there still could be a football national champion crowned, um, even without the sanctioning of the NCAA, um, which is something that I, I didn't know. Um, and so we'll see. We'll see. I think the only thing that remains constant is that this is a rapidly changing situation yeah. for yeah. all sports and all colleges. Yeah. Yeah. My, so, so I, I, I have a great deal of disdain for UNC as you just mentioned, and, and, and I certainly don't like that color of blue. Uh, however, I do have a cousin who started his freshman year there about a week ago. That's uh, and then today his mom posted on Facebook that she went and picked him back up and he's now he's coming back to their house and he's going to start virtual class in their house. Um, and I'm not going to say anything bad about UNC for that. I feel terrible for him. I think that's awful. Um, yeah so poor guy um his dad went to nc state and his dad did check him in wearing a red t-shirt which i did appreciate <laughs> even though i'm not a big nc state fan either <laughs> i mean i think nc state sent their kids home also so did they i know that i know that michigan state did i know that notre dame did um nc state did for sure uh, did they as sure, well? so. yeah yeah i mean my um, question is is you bring all these kids from all over mm-hmm. and you get these hot spots and then what you send them back all infected yeah like, how is this not going to ricochet into <laughs> yeah. i don't know yeah, it's yeah. No, you're 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 absolutely right. Um, you know, the there was a, a school in in northern Georgia, the University of North Georgia, that actually made national news this week because their first, everybody came back to campus on Monday, and then a bunch of students, as we would have done when I was you know a freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior sure. in college, all got together that night for a big ass party. Um, I mean, and and. People were putting on expect? Instagram and everything <laughs> like, else, right? And right. so, so, and of course, there's no social distancing going on. Of course, there's no masking going on or anything else like that. So, 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 yeah. Um, my college. So, I, I went to my college for the first time on Tuesday, and I taught my class for the first time on Tuesday. And, and we we had masks required, and and my college was a ghost town. There was nobody there. Yeah, um, my office building is still a ghost town. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. The so. highways are a ghost town. There's no traffic in Atlanta. It's, yeah, I mean, there's very little traffic. <laughs> what? <laughs> my commute was super fast. Yeah, I was. I yeah. got up later than I meant to, and thought I was gonna be all late, and I got there early. So yeah, I know all about that. <laughs> so, so I'm sure. I'm sure. All right. So, um, um, what else are we gonna talk about here? Um, let's talk real quickly about. Um, let's talk real quickly. There's like two more things we want to talk about. Um, one of them is what happened with the great virtual run across Tennessee. Um, and, and why don't you set that up for us? Um, so great virtual run across Tennessee. We talked about that on the podcast before. Yeah. Lazarus Lake, he posted, you know, a thousand kilometers run across Tennessee. I think there's over 17,000 people Mm -hmm. that are currently doing it. Um, it's being all tracked virtually and Facebook group with thousands of people in it. And, you know, as a lot of people have, they've found solace and community and, um, just found it a safe place as they kind of go through this journey, people from all over the world. And there was one of the runners, Ben Chan, I think he's, uh, he's in New York. Um, he, you know, had a sentimental post and talked about how he had to do most of his running between two and 5 a.m. Um, and he really couldn't motivate himself to 
uh, get out the door to run, but he started listening to an audio book, uh, like a five book series by Robert Caro on Lyndon Johnson. And, um, you know, with all of the Black Lives Matter and Me Too and all of that type of um, racial awareness going on, he made a post that, you know, he was, he's been the victim of this. His wife is, is the victim of this. She's a Black woman. She goes out for 5K every single day. And, you know, he just made a, a post about how much um, he reflected on the group and the support there um, and the experience that he's had as, you know, a non-white male runner running in America. And it was taken down. Um, well, and, and, so his po and his post basically said, said, in this time when I don't feel totally confident and comfortable running, Right. This group has made me feel more confident yeah. and comfortable running. It was like a thank you for right. all of the support. I like I never could have done this without this group and the people, you know. And he woke up the next morning and the post was gone. And mm -hmm. Laz basically came in and almost like is a dictator, said, This is my group. It's not a place for politics, mm -hmm. and just shut the whole conversation down. Right. So in doing that, it caused a huge uproar. Mm -hmm. um, and he, but he said, never took the post. He never put, you know, it, it stayed down. So yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Laz said, well, you know, I agree with what the original poster said. I thought it was a good post. He said, but some of the comments on the post got really, really political. And I didn't really want that because it's supposed to be a refuge from politics. Yeah, but he could have just turned off the commenting right, or he right. could have deleted the inappropriate comments. Right, right. Or, um, he, could, or he could he could cook, kicked those people out of the group and all that sort of thing. Yeah. And so so it, it, it made for, I think, an interesting conversation. Um, and, and Well, I think uh, you should finish the part about this is supposed to be a refuge because by him taking the post down, mm -hmm. it's literally the antithesis of what he's saying the group is supposed to be for. Right, right, yeah, no, for sure. Um, and so there was, um, we're gonna fumble it. And so I would rather actually just read directly from an Instagram post. That's a good um, idea. <laughs> so so, so there, was a, there was an Instagram post by a woman named Jessie Schwiso. Um, and she's also a runner in the great virtual run across Tennessee um, and she, uh, posted in response to all of this and her post was taken down as well. But then she took what she had posted and she also posted on Instagram. And so just kind of borrowing some of the, the, the things that she said, she's talking about the Facebook group and she said, it's now kind of a platform where runners from all over the world are sharing their stories and journeys within this shared experience. This is special, she wrote, and this is her speaking. And it's been beautiful to see all the support and love and connection. However, by banning the mention of anything political in this space, in a way you're saying that some people's stories are inherently not to be shared. Not everyone has the luxury of an apolitical existence. And for many people, what's personal is political and what's political is personal. Going for a run as a black person or any person of color in 2020, when just a few months ago, a black man died for doing just that is a political act as is running as a woman, running with a disability, running in a hijab, et cetera. This is not to say that every discussion needs to be centered around social issues, they don't. But if this has become a space where people feel open and comfortable to share their running journeys, it's wrong that you would only allow the stories that make you feel comfortable or seem appropriate to you um, by criteria that isn't too clear. Um, she went on to say, I believe in the transformative power of running and I think that we're missing an opportunity to strengthen our community for cutting out a whole part of the conversation. I do appreciate this group in this space and I think there's some major opportunity here to come together without being ugly to each other. I wholly understand this isn't what you signed up for with this page, but the story sharing element is a major part of what it's become. And it seems to be a reason why so many people are drawn to it. Perhaps make an event next year or if you ever do it again where you strictly share your posts about race-related information if you don't wanna deal with the stories of folks that make you uncomfortable. Um, unquote. So, so yeah, I, I think that the point that she makes is super important, um, that this is a place where, where diverse people were coming together, sharing their stories, and, and, and these things that are deemed to be political are part of Ben Chan's story. Um, right. And so in sharing his story or in saying that his story cannot be shared because it's political, you're basically saying that, that, that people who, only people whose stories who aren't political can be shared. Well, whose stories aren't political? My story, George, the white guy runner, my story is not, is, is not political, or at least nobody's going to deem running for me to be a political act. 
Um, and that gets circles around to, to the privilege, of course, that we talked about on this podcast a few weeks ago. It's a privilege for me to actually be able to, uh, to run and talk about my experience of running and not have somebody say, well, you're being political. Um, whereas this gentleman, Ben Chan, talks about the experience that he had running and that his wife has had running. Um, and it's deemed that their experience is, is political speech. Um, and yeah, and I thought it was a great post. I think a lot of people, most people share her sentiment. The irony is that Laz probably just doesn't care. Mm -hmm. Like he probably read that and was like, yeah. mm, sorry, my page, I'm doing what I want. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, I think so too. Um, you know, I, I'm not, um, and I can't remember whether I said this before or not. I'm not a fan of Lazarus Lake. I don't like no, it. No, not at um, all. <laughs> so, so, and, and, and I, 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 I am not a fan of the Barkley marathons. I think it's a farce. Um, and, and I dislike the fact that it's gotten a lot of attention because of the Netflix series and all that sort of thing over the course of the past several years. Um, I dislike the fact that really good runners have started to want to go to the Berkeley marathons or the Barkley marathons because, because to me that legitimizes the race. And I don't think it's a legitimate race. And I don't think he's a very good race director or a good person even. I'd love um, to see so, you argue this point with John Kelly. So, um, <laughs> uh, I, I, and so, so if you, if you, if you want an insight into who he is and the way that he sees the world, um, go on YouTube and, and search for uh, an interview that, that a friend of ours, uh, a guy named Mike Buto, who lives in the metro Atlanta area as a sports reporter, um, did with him. Um, and, and you can simply search woman Barkley marathons. Um, and, and you'll hear him talking about how he is, is pretty sure, or he's certain, that, that a woman is never going to complete the Barclay marathons because it's just too hard for them and women aren't cut out for it. Um, that's who we're talking about here. Um, and so, so I was not surprised by any of this. And, and I agree with you that if he heard like this conversation, he'd be like, whatever. Right. Um, but, but this doesn't really surprise me all that much. Yeah. Um, all right. Are we going to segue away from that or do you ever want to find a last word on it? <laughs> I don't have any last words on it. Yeah. I know it's still going on. I know there was a post that yeah. was put up yesterday and he removed it. Um, you know, I think just in this time, if you can have a group like that, that can be supportive. It's just a shame that someone's there taking mm -hmm. stuff down because it's not, yeah. you know, the perfect way that they envisioned the yeah. group of 17,000 people. Yeah. And, out, I, so. and I think it's important to remember too, because, and, and, and we talked about this on the podcast that, that because of what happened to Ahmed Aubrey, because what was done to Ahmed Aubrey, um, uh, runners have had, uh, an awakening. A lot of runners have an awakening to, to the privileges that they experience. And, and it's, it's unlike I've ever seen anything I've ever seen inside the running community. Um, it's important to keep in mind, not everybody's okay with that. Right. <laughs> Um, and so, so the running community is big and it's diverse. And, and while we're celebrating the fact that some runners are, are starting to think more deeply about serious and important systemic issues inside of our sport, some people inside of our sport don't want to hear it and don't want to have those conversations. Um, let's talk about something lighter. Let's talk about Michael Ortiz. That'd be a nice way to end things. What do you, do you think so? Um, yeah, if you think running a hundred miles in your apartment in Brooklyn <laughs> is a nice way to end things, seems like I it'd do. be a great way to end my life. <laughs> I mean, I would, like, I would never, I just, well, I let, let, let me tell you how I happened across this. Cause I hadn't actually heard about this, but, but I, I was, uh, I was clicking around a little bit today and I happened upon the fact that there was a New York times article from a week ago, from earlier this week, from the 13th. So from six days ago, um, that, about your new favorite pastime, about Everesting, Michelle. Um, and, and the guy who did it was a Canadian guy, and he went out in British Columbia, and he did some Everesting. It took him 14 hours to go up and down this, this one hill. But he talked about how people have been so into it right now because um, – because competitions have been shut down um, and, and there's been people of all sorts that, that, that have gone out to do it. Um, and essentially the number of people who have Everested um, over the course of the past six months is about as many as, as the people, about the same number as the people have Everested in all of time up to the last six months. Um, but I was kind of scrolling through it. It was a good article. And I get to the bottom and there's, you know, related articles and there's a related article about, about a guy named Michael Ortiz. Um, and the article headline was something to the effect of 
ultra marathoner runs 100 miles in his Brooklyn apartment or something like that. And I was like, what? And so I open it up and it's about this guy named Michael Ortiz, who's a super interesting guy and, and, and graduated from an Ivy league school and went to wall street and made a whole bunch of money. Uh, but then when his older brother died, he realized that, that he wasn't really sucking the marrow out of life, that he wasn't really spending his life in a way that he thought was memorable and meaningful. Um, and so he started running and he ran the New York City Marathon and then he quickly graduated doing longer distances and longer marathons and all that sort of thing. And about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, he resolved that he was going to do one 100 mile race every week for 100 weeks in a row. So that's nearly two years worth of doing a 100 miler every single week. And to the degree possible, he was going to try and do them in all different states and, and, and all around the place and that sort of thing. And so um, that was, he's now on week 90. And so if you kind of do the math on it, that means that, that he was right there around maybe a little bit past halfway when the lockdown, when the quarantine actually took place. Uh, and so how did he ensure that his streak would not be broken? He just stayed in his apartment. <laughs> he stayed in his apartment. And in that first week, in order to make sure that his streak wasn't broken, he didn't have a treadmill yet. And so he set up a track inside of his apartment and he ran. What was it? 40 square yards or something? 40. I don't think it might have been 40 feet. I don't know. But one way or another, he ran, he ran 13,200 laps. Ugh. How do you even count that? Also, it took him, what, 30-something hours? Oh, yeah. All of them take him, like, 36 hours. Yeah, he says he doesn't he, – he, the fastest he's ever run one is, like, 22 hours. Um, but he says he goes much slower since he's doing so many of them so he can recover more quickly. And so now he says they take about 33 to 36 hours. And so that one took him, like, 36 hours where he was literally just running laps around his living room. Right? So do you laps, think he laps, feels laps. like he's – you know, sucking the marrow out of life now? Like, do you think he- Dude, I mean the streak is still going. <laughs> so then he gets a treadmill and, and he, he runs 100 miles on his treadmill. And then he says, I want to do like an Everesting on my treadmill. And so he does a, a run, a 100 mile run, which is 29,029 feet on the treadmill. And then the following week, he's talking to his girlfriend, who, by the way, is the world record holder in the double DECA Ironman triathlon. Um, and, and he says to her, um, maybe now I should run downhill for, for, for 29,029 feet. And she says, no, 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 don't do that. Instead, run to the lowest point on earth. And so he runs a, a run as negative 31,000 feet because that evidently is the depth of the Marianas Trench, <laughs> right? Um, and so I, he just came onto my radar this week. Uh, and I was like, I got to find out about this guy. I look up for him on Instagram. I look for him on Strava and I start reading about him. Turns out he did number 90 just a couple of days ago. Right. And number in 90 was in Blairsville, in Blairsville. Georgia. Oh. Yeah. It was called the baby dragon 100. Did he, he say why he picked that? So I think he, no, um, he, he, he joked in his Instagram post that he thought it was going to be kind of easy because it had baby in the name. Um, and he said, North it, was one, Georgia? He, he said it was one of the hardest ones he's done. He said yeah, it's one, sure. one of the two hardest ones he's done out of the 90 that he has now done. Dude, he's about to knock it out. He's got two and a half months to go, right? He's like at the it's last mile of 5K. No, it's incredible. I, I wonder I, what his I'm grocery bill per week is. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can get him on the podcast and ask him. Yeah. Question number one, tell us about your grocery bill, <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think of how many calories you'd have to consume to just keep going a 100-mile race every week. Every single week, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, pretty gross. I... I, you know, stuff like that fires me up. My, my body, my body can't do it. I can't, I, 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 I'm, it's not that I wouldn't want to. It's that like, like my Achilles is garbage and literally I couldn't do it. Man, that would be cool to be able to do that. I don't think that. most but, people could do it. But, but, but I, I, I don't see how you do. How, how does he not get injured? Why don't we try to ask him? I don't know. We should try to ask him. So speaking of- I mean, of he has the resources to- mm -hmm. He could be getting body work, you know, the entire time in between mm -hmm. these races. Right. Good nutrition. Someone could be cooking for him. I mean, mm -hmm. he made it pretty clear that he doesn't have to work right now. So, yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, that's a hell of a commitment. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, I'm super impressed. So, so big shout out to him. Um, uh, a couple other quick things we'll talk about that we're just up to right now. Um, uh, 
I watched the first couple of episodes. I think I've watched the first three episodes now of the the Amazon show that I mentioned last week, Echo Challenge Fiji, um, that my friend Sonia Wick is on. Um, and uh, and she actually has a couple of interviews where she talks very openly about the, uh, the, the mental episode that she had a couple of years ago. She's actually, and I thought this was cool, I didn't realize this when I, when I did it, um, she's actually on a team called Team Iron Cowboy. Um, and the Iron Cowboy, do you know who that is, Michelle? Um, sounds like somebody from a Marvel movie, but I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> the Iron Cowboy is a guy named James Lawrence. And James Lawrence, a few years ago, um, this is probably five years ago, set out to do 50 Ironmans in 50 states in 50 days. Um, and many people, myself included, were doubtful that he could pull it off, not because it was the, such a physical challenge, which obviously it was, but because of the logistics of it. I just thought that trying to move from state to state and that much stuff from state to state over the course of 50 days, something was bound to go wrong and knock him off track, but it didn't. And he completed it. Um, he's friends with Sonia. Sonia talked him into being on the same eco challenge Fiji team with her. And so they are team iron cowboy. Um, and they have, uh, they, they are just about to make it, I think to, to camp one, uh, here at the end of the episode that I watched. So are you enjoying uh, watching it? Yeah, it's cool. It's fun. Yeah. It's, 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 I uh, definitely want to get into it. Is yeah. it, it, is it a treadmill show? So it's a tread, it's a good treadmill show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Good stuff. Um, yeah, it's cool. And it's, it's, I think it's 10 episodes and you asked last time if they're all available now, they are. So you can watch the whole thing. Oh, all that's awesome. Okay. Yeah, my, my family's still down in Aruba. So they watch an episode and I watch an episode and then we're talking about it a little bit, which is kind of fun. So we have a little bit of a shared experience there, even though they're so far away, um, which is cool. My wife has put more stuff in Darden's on the go.com. So check that's that a great out. blog, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, I'm glad you're reading it. I appreciate that. Uh, (laughs) I think she was worried that she set my expectations too high, but it's perfect (laughs) just the way it is. So (laughs) So, last thing we're going to talk about, have you started reading the book? Well, I've read it before. Remember? Yes. So I I haven't, I haven't started reading it again. Um, I have started reading it. Actually, I started listening to it. I started listening to it because it's, because it's on audible. I'm doing both. And so I bought the book, but I've been, then Audible she read it one, on Audible? She reads it. Yeah. She's okay. the reader, which I like. That must be amazing. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Yeah. And so, so, um, I got it on Audible. It's unabridged. It's read by her on Audible as well. And so I, I read part of it and then I picked up on Audible where I was while I was folding laundry and listened to it. And then I went back to reading it a little bit more. And so, um, so yeah, it's cool. It's uh, she's a good writer. Um, and so I feel as if I'm going to, I think that's what really drew me yeah. to the book was yeah. her writing style and, mm-hmm. Yeah, she's just a phenomenal writer. And she actually just posted that she's working on another book um, about her, you know, comeback from an injury in 2016 where she thought she'd never be able to run again to winning the Leadville 100 um, back in 2018. So I would read anything she writes. I just, I'm very much drawn to her writing style, but how far did you get into it? Uh, I'm in chapter two now. So I read the epilogue in chapter one. So yeah, Yeah. but but read about her first race that she ran when she was what, like nine years old, something like that. And a 10 K in Virginia that her dad just wanted to get pictures of her crossing the finish line. It was fun to read about. So, um, do you think that really happens? Like some kid can just go out and run 6.2 miles away. Oh yeah. It took two hours. Does it sound horrible, right? Like it sounds terrible. Yeah. (laughs) Awful. Yeah. Yeah. But she didn't know the difference. I mean, she was, that's the amazing part. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally think so. I mean, that's the way I ended up doing my first, my first stuff was, was my dad was doing the 10k and I did the fun run. I mean, that's just, yeah. Um, except that her dad wasn't doing it. So (laughs) might as well have, um, except her dad wasn't doing her dad was taking pictures over at the finish line and then having her go back across the finish line and pretend as if she was like crawling across the finish line stuff, which I thought. Oh yeah. So yeah, she's a good writer. And so, so I like, I like her storytelling ability. So I, I look forward to continuing reading. Yeah. I think you're really going to like it. So right on, right on. Very good. Uh, let us know folks, if you're listening to it, whether you like it and if you're into it as well. So, so, and if you haven't gotten a copy, get it, read it and then let us know what you think. Michelle, final words. Uh, I think we should just mention it was officially announced today that the AJC Peachtree Road Race will uh, not happen on Thanksgiving Day. Yeah, um, like they had hoped, that. it's going to be virtual. So I think that's pretty much shuts down any, you know, since the trials, Atlanta Track Club won't be hosting uh, a real live event, uh, I guess you could say the way it used to be or the way it always was um, mm-hmm. for the remainder of the calendar year. So mm-hmm. I'm sure that was a hard decision for them. Oh, yeah. Deeply supported by the entire running community for sure. Um, so I don't really want to do it, but I'm definitely going to sign up just to support them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah. hopefully, you know, 
they converted cool converted to a virtual race they said so so and, yeah. and the virtual race is going to be on thanksgiving right. um and and they actually have a prize purse for the master's field uh in the virtual race on thanksgiving now well there um, you go so so but they, they said they said you can run it wherever you want to run it downhill course uphill course whatever you want to do you can do it so where so, would you run yeah. it if you had to pick a 10k course somewhere in atlanta where would you go I don't know. See, it'd be hard to say because you have to do it someplace without traffic since it's a virtual race, right? So, would you go to Columns? Uh, I might go to the Silver Comet Trail. Might go to. Oh Columns. yeah, that's way better. Yeah, yeah. the downhill the, portion. No, so yeah, I, I would. I would, pro I would probably go to the, the. I would probably start on the slight uphill portion of the. Or why do uphill at all? So I just, do, just do, do the point whole... to point on the downhill. Yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> yeah, good point. Uh, that, that's probably what I would do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll see. Um, I'll probably sign up for it um, uh, for sure. Uh, they also moved the 10 miler, which is normally October. They moved it to November 1st and they moved it to uh, road Atlanta, um, which is a, a NASCAR track. Um, and, and it's going to be around there. And if there's any place where you can socially distance, it would be at a NASCAR track. So, um, and so, so you're going to do will a, it just be a staggered start and different mm -hmm. waves. I mean, have they announced the specifics of that yet? I, I think that they're going to do it the way that they've done some of their races over the course of the summer, that they're going to have a yeah. really, really large window and that sure. you have to show up and the uh, clock by just appointment. Goes. Yeah. yeah. You have to show up by appointment. Mm -hmm. and, I feel and, like and that's an experience. Mm -hmm. I think I mean, so too. I might, I mean, I want to learn a little bit more about it and I might end up doing it. We'll see. We'll yeah. see. Hard for me to see past the Blue Ridge Relay right now, though. So, <laughs> fingers crossed that it uh, stays intact. So, right on, right on, Michelle. Thanks for being with me once again. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> thanks for listening, everybody. That'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. We appreciate you joining us. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com/slash Pleasant Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Pleasant Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. And you can always download our podcast from Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, ITL Coaching and Performance, at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter at itlcoaching, at Facebook, facebook.com slash itlcoaching and performance, and on Instagram, itlcoaching. You can check out Blue Pineapple Travel at bluepineappletravel.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, or on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, SlayerX. You can find them at slayerx.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash here4slayerx. That's the number four, here4slayerx. On Instagram at here4slayerx, again the number four, and on Twitter at officialslayrx. Don't forget the discount code PLEASANT2020. On behalf of Patrick Ollinger and Michelle Frank, this is George Darden. We appreciate you joining us on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.